This is Zombie Chickens Podcast, where two heads is better than one, even if they're undead. My name is Marnay. And my name is Megan. Today marks our first day of the uh, love and despair. Yes. Of February. Of February, the month of love. So-called love. So-called love. So today we are going to go through um, two murder cases. I have done research on one and Marina has done research on another one and we're going to tell each other about these cases. And both cases involve love. Yeah, some some sort of love. And um, both of us don't really know each other's cases so this will be a very interesting intake to hear the case for the first time we do know the name of which who we who we're doing we just don't know the background of each other's cases cases. yes and then we just need to put a disclaimer there that this is going to be very explicit um and very brutal i mean mine's famicide so uh you can only imagine yeah so we just want to put a disclaimer before we go further ahead um, that it will involve murder and we'll probably have some strong language and so forth. So if you don't like those type of things, you can skip this episode. Um, I think I will begin with my episode. Uh, I am doing a case that obviously involves love. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'll start with. The day is February 24th. So it's actually also a case in February, February 24th, 1986. 29-year-old Sherry Rasmussen was found by a husband after he came back from work in the living room on the floor, murdered. Hmm. She was severely beaten around the facial area and she had a lot of... um, defensive wounds on her body because she fought back yeah well it was uh, they concluded that she had did fight back mm. um, because not just that the entire room were, were in shambles like the there was glasses broken vases broken things like that so you could see there was a struggle inside the house mm. and um she even had when they did the autopsy they actually even found a bite mark on her arm Jesus. Her le- left forearm, I think it said. Yeah, her left forearm. And they actually um, found that. But also throughout the autopsy, they actually found out that the like she was severely beaten in the face. Mm-hmm. Like to the point where you couldn't even recognize her anymore. And it was actually found in the autopsy that the beating was done by a gun. So it was... Either so from the, the gun was literally, the hilt of the gun was smashed into her face repeatedly. Yes, repeatedly. So it was the muzzle as well as the hilt hilt of the gun was actually used to um, hit her in the face. Um, and then with that, it was also that the cause of death was actually not from the beating. It was from three gunshot wounds that was found on her body, on her chest area. So she was actually, the coroner said that it could have been any one of those three shots. Three shots, yeah. They don't know which one did it. It could have been any one of the three shots. Oh, and actually, that most of the wounds that was found on, that was on her face, 
those, those were actually done after she was murdered. Because she was shot first. So she was, there was a struggle. Yes. She was shot. And then while she was busy dying, she got beaten in the face. Jesus. Yeah. Um, there was also like electronic stack, like a stack of electronics next to her body. Um, so it's not a, a breaking gone wrong. They thought it was a bit breaking gone wrong because of there was electronic stack. It was sort of as if they were walking out of the house. Mm. They got caught in the act. They mm. also a neighbor on the morning of the 24th at 9:45 a.m. A neighbor saw that the garage door was open and actually saw that the car wasn't there. So the whole conclusion was that someone broke in, they got caught in the act, they beat her and, and then fled, with the, and fled with the car. Okay. The car was actually found t- 10 days after two miles from their house, um, but there was nothing else taken. So it was just the car. Oh, well, something else that was also missing was their marriage license was missing. Interesting. Yes. So, as the thing goes, there was in that same area where they lived for, I think it was about a month, there was other break-ins as well. So there was a lady that was assaulted and she actually, she went to the police and... um, Made a a sketch. Made a sketch. So there was two suspects, um, two medium-sized Latino men I think it's middle-aged Latino men were the main suspect, suspects, as well as they actually, one of the suspects had um, a gun similar to what was used on um, Sherry was actually uh, placed on one of the suspects, but the suspects were never found. So they, they immediately ruled it as part of those break-ins and assaults that occurred in that area. And with that, they couldn't find who the people were that did it. As all cases do, it ended up going cold. Mm. And about 20, says, I think it's 25 years later. No, 23 years later. 23 years later was actually when, um, in 2009, when they started looking, when the crime rates dropped down in that area, they actually started looking into cold cases. And that's when they reopened this case. But in 2004, there was when there was new DNA technology that was available, a- available in that. Uh, the criminalist um, of LAPD, Jennifer Butterworth, actually re-exa- re-examined the case and found... Uh, saliva on the bite wound that was on her arm and it was actually revealed that it was a female that this saliva belonged to so obviously it was a female suspect with that yes sorry to interrupt because mm. if you look at it the thing that was stolen was a marriage certificate yes it's obviously it obviously speaks of infidelity yeah i mean the brutal nature of it's definitely hitting a crime someone of Hitting someone in the face, it is a crime of passion. Yeah. Anything that's bodily done, that's not shot with a gun. Okay, she was killed with a gun. But anything that's done with physical effort, it's it's hate yeah. and it's passion. Oh, and I also forgot to mention that there was actually a cult fi- found at her body, with her body, 
which indicated that the quilt was used to muffle the gunshots. So it was someone that basically knew that what they were doing, mm. that indicates to that. There was no other person of interest except for a statement that Sherry, the woman that was murdered, dad, father did when they interviewed everyone, of the, all of the family. He actually stated in, uh, that he has been told by Sherry before she died that she believes she's being followed by a certain woman. And the lady's name was Stephanie Lazarus. And Stephanie Lazarus was actually an ex-girlfriend of Sherry's husband. Ah. Yes. Because there was only that other suspect that was in the files. Well, she wasn't necessarily... She wasn't a suspect. She was just... Her name was mentioned in the files. Jennifer Butterworth, that did the examination, saw that there's that woman and made the conclusion... It should be it her. It should be her. Saliva, yeah. So she went to the police office and found out that Stephanie Lazarus is actually part of the LAPD. Oh, Jesus. She got thrown out, said no, nothing to do with the case. It got left and no one investigated further. Only in 2009, two detectives actually reopened the case. There were brand new eyes to the case. And they started the case without the possibility of it being a burglary gone wrong. They started out with saying, no, that theory doesn't work. It feels like the whole area was staged. It doesn't feel like it was actually part of that burglaries that happened. The only other suspect was Stephanie Mm. that they saw was mentioned. Mm. And again, she was a police officer, so it wasn't something easily investigated. Yes, it's normally a very difficult case yeah. to, to infiltrate or yeah, and to also investigate that, the police themselves. That, that whole thing where you shouldn't investigate your fellow colleague and all that. So how actually John and Stephanie's relationship started, they started, they met because they lived in the same dorm in college. Oh. And they started dating in college on and off. It was stated that it wasn't necessarily a relationship. It's more like just, you know. It's a fucking go. Basically. So I think obviously she also apparently had, there was red flags with her at that time already. Mm. Because she would take pictures of John while he, naked pictures of John while he's asleep. Okay. With that, they dated on and off the whole of college. And then when college ended, they broke up. Mm. Two years later, on John's 25th birthday party, or no, 25th, Stephanie threw him a surprise birthday party and found out that he was actually in a serious relationship with Sherry. And at that point, they actually got engaged. So he was in a really serious relationship. Stephanie actually even wrote to John's mom saying how angry and disappointed she is, how heartbroken she is over this whole situation. With that, Stephanie decided, okay, she wants to go see John and sort of just close that chapter in her life. So they ended up sleeping together Mm. while John was engaged. So they started an affair. Where it was supposed to be just a once-off thing, 
Stephanie couldn't let him go. So she ended going up, going back to them. To not just John, she would go visit John and Sherry. Which obviously made Sherry really uncomfortable because she, she knew their history. She obviously didn't know that she was cheated on. But she knew the history of when they were in college that they had a thing. Stephanie actually showed up at Sherry's workplace, which Sherry was a nurse. And she showed up at her workplace saying, John and I on through. If I can't have him, no one can. <laughs> like all those things. Yeah, so she wasn't... Um, she wasn't necessarily over him at all. So on this day, actually, on the 24th um, of February, uh, they were already married. So they were married for about three months. And obviously this really upset Stephanie. On the day of the 24th, John went to work as usual. Sherry was supposed to go into work, but she called in sick when, like I said, Stephanie actually stalked Sherry and actually followed her around. At one point when Sherry... And John went out of the apartment to go somewhere. She could actually see Stephanie standing outside in a uniform and just watching them. Yeah. So she obviously tried to intimidate her mm. and all that. That day of the 24th, it is said that Stephanie saw that she was alone, confronted her, and then obviously... One thing led to another. Yes. But Stephanie actually, like I said, it was 23 years after the whole thing. And um, they had to go about this case, like, not secretly, but they had to use different tactics. Because she's, at that time, she was in the force for about 25 years already. So she was a veteran. Hmm. Yeah. And she was a senior detective already. So she worked herself up in the police. She was actually um, the lead detective regarding art-related crimes in Los Angeles. Hmm. So she was quite... Renowned. Yeah, in her area and Hmm. her expertise. So it wasn't that easy to just... Also, she was married to a police officer in the LAPD. So she eventually married and all that. She was actually... She also did a lot of things well, um, that made her stand out. So she did a lot of the, for the police station. So she built a reputation for herself. Mm. And so these two detectives obviously had to think differently of how will they actually now solve this without putting suspicion on it. Because how else will they get her in there? So they ended up actually needing to call her in to their headquarters so that when she gets there, she gives in her gun. I see. Yes. And so they p- called her in with the pretenses that um, they want her to interview a suspect in art-related crime. Mm. And when she got there, obviously, she realized this is not what it's about. And they ended up actually putting a hidden camera in a bag or a hidden camera in the interrogation room to so this video is actually online of her interrogation which was put up as a surveillance video not as an interrogation they also didn't want to inform her husband and all that with what was going on so that they don't want to raise suspicions of anyone in the because the people the detectives that was actually research not researching um investigating. investigating this crime 
well, her, their offices was actually opposite her, um, Stephanie's husband's offices in the department. Oh, Lord. Yeah, so the, it was really close to home. So they had to do it very secretively. But anyway, so with this interview, they sort of asked them, do you know this person? And she sort of like took it well and then started freaking out more and more when she started realizing what what they are implying. And then they asked her if they would give her or she would give them a DNA sample or a DNA swab. And she said, no, she thinks she needs to get a lawyer. And just as she left the building, they arrested her. Because what she didn't know is with one of her off days, they actually followed her and she dropped a cup in the bin and then they actually used that cup to do a DNA test, comparing it to, to the, the bite saliva. To, on the bite mark. Mm. And it was actually exact match. <laughs> so they already knew she did it. They just wanted to see if she would cooperate. Or confess. Yes. And what they also discovered is that 13 days before the murder took place, Stephanie reported her off-duty gun missing. Ah. 13 days before the murder took place. And she didn't report it at her station where she worked. She went to a different station and reported it. That's which weird. Is very suspicious, like as if she didn't want them to know what is happening. This was clearly premeditated. Mm. Yeah, and with that, the trial began in 2012 and she was sentenced to 27 years in prison. She's actually up for parole in 2034. There was actually also two lawsuits that happened after the trial oh. from um, Sherry's dad. That said, he already named her as a suspect that time. Why wasn't she investigated? And then Jennifer Butterworth, that also mentioned in 2004. And she actually said in her lawsuit that she, when she went to the police station or the department to ask them about it, she was actually harassed and then they transferred her just to keep her quiet and not ask the question of her. So clearly mm. they knew that she had an involvement in it. Because at that time, Stephanie was actually working in that department mm. of that homicide department. So she could have easily tampered with evidence mm. and or removed evidence. So it was suspected that she might have been a suspect at that time. But because of lack mm. of evidence that might have been removed, they couldn't actually name her as a suspect. Mm. But it just shows like how the cops maybe, they probably knew that she had involvement in it. They just turned a blind eye. And, and not just that, I think it's also to, you know, to keep it quiet. Because yeah. if something like that explodes, it's going to be a massive fire. Exactly. I mean, how, it, I mean, we know already here in South Africa, we have corruption like there's no fucking tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, there's corruption everywhere. But in a place where you believe where the police is supposed to keep you safe. Exactly. Where they do the murders and it's a homicide detective that's mm -hmm. keeping her homicide, you know, homicidal tendencies quiet. It's, yeah. it's, it's unheard of. Yeah, she at that time she was still just a police officer. Mm. So when she got detective, she moved to the art crime and the 
but yeah her involvement clearly was very because there wasn't really other suspects they could look at she was the only one that was mentioned mm. they should have done a thorough search even if it was a police officer yeah exactly but yeah and especially if you look at the history she had with john where mm. they were on and off and they actually had like i said that they, they actually slept together while he was engaged to mm. sherry they also dated for a bit after sherry's murder Oh, shit. Yeah. Clearly, she got what she wanted in the end, but then they ultimately broke up and she married, remarried. and mm. Yeah. So, um, it is a very interesting to think that you can go 23 years without even so much as they caring that you're a suspect if you're a police officer in that type of case. But yeah, so... But Sherry actually had the suspicion that she was in danger because she felt felt like she was being followed and stalked, which she was by. Yeah. But she told her parents, but no one else really mm. cared or bothered. I think with, you know, with the story, what we can take home today is that if you feel threatened, tell someone. Tell more than one person. Tell more than one person. Definitely, definitely. Because that might have been, that might be like... Mm. Just that turning point of who a suspect might be. Exactly. I mean, I, I mean, we can't really talk now, but I mean, if she told her husband, you know, she was being followed. Yeah, which I couldn't find out if she did tell John. She probably should tell him, listen, yeah, this bitch, ex-bitch of yours is following me. Yeah, I don't know. There's no nowhere that it was said that she told John. Mm. I know she told her parents. And some of her friends that didn't like Stephanie at all. But I don't yeah. know if she actually told, told John. And maybe she did. And he just didn't care. Yeah, or just sort of Because blew it he off. was like, oh, it's fine. She's just a bit weird. Mm. No, that, yeah. that bitch be cray cray. But she clearly actually planned it because of the whole 13 days before the murder. No, that's clearly premeditated. Yeah, that's clearly. very premeditated. Yeah. And the fact that, you know... What I can gather from the from the crime scene is, you know, not a lot of evidence besides the bite mark. There's no yeah. evidence, physical and evidence of, of her besides the bite yeah. mark. I think if she didn't bite her, she would have gotten away with it completely. Yeah. Clearly, she would have because that was the only DNA evidence mm. there was. Because there's no gun. There there's only no... a bullet, but no mm -hmm. gun. Exactly. And there was, like I said, no other evidence at all except for that. And they thought it was the burglary, but because... The detective or the criminalist in 2004 saw that it should be actually a female suspect. And then in 2009, when they opened the case again, mm. they realized this can't be it. And also, like they said, they, it looked staged. So she clearly went through the trouble of staging the crime scene to look like it was part of the break-ins. And because she is from that part... Yeah, she knows. She knows that there was break-ins in that area mm. and completely fell into that where they didn't even look further yeah we went cold i mean yeah. which she hoped it would it would definitely shit yeah that was my case of stephanie lazarus mm. it's quite an interesting one now mine's a bit different from yours mm -hmm. so mine's about robert william fisher okay I didn't really know this case myself. Um, I found it by accident while trying to 
check out a couple of YouTube videos of the initial one that I wanted to do, which I will keep quiet in any case. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when I, after I watched the YouTube episode, I just realized, oh my God, I need to do this one. This one is so good. But okay, so today we traveled to the small Christian town of Scottsdale, Arizona, where this horrible catastrophe still haunts the people today. The Fisher family seemed like any other. They were devout churchgoers and happy, or so it seemed. April the 10th, 2001, was the beginning of a notorious piece of Arizona history. It was 8.30 in the morning. The Fisher family's Scottsdale home exploded into flames with wife Mary, 12-year-old daughter Brittany, and 10-year-old son Bobby inside. The explosion was so big it was heard for over half a mile. Damn. It, it, it was really big. I mean, I saw the footage. It's a massive fire. I mean, the flames were about 6 meters high, which I think is about... 20 feet high metric system. All I know it's really, really high. <laughs> metric system here. Anyway, Detective TJ Duran was one of the lead detectives on the case and instantly found something was very wrong. A natural gas line had been cut and accelerant spread throughout the house and over the three bodies to cause the explosion. Mary's Toyota forerunner was missing and Robert was nowhere to be found. Further investigation showed that Mary, Brittany, and Bobby was dead before the fire. Yeah. Okay. Their throats were cut, were slit from ear to ear, to almost being decapitated. That's how um, deep it was. It was li- there was literally like deep lacerations on the um, on the bone at the back, but the damn. yes, they were basically almost decapitated. Yeah. Mary was also shot in the back of the head, executioner style. Okay. At this stage, Fisher was not a suspect, but the vital part of the investigation. The bullet that was found in Mary's head did not match any of the numerous hunting guns that Fisher owned, all except for a handheld gun that looks like it can be of the same caliber found from the bullet, but the gun was missing. They couldn't find the gun. Right, now here's, that's just the basic background of the story. But let's go look at Fisher's background. So Fisher was born on the 13th of April 1961 in Brooklyn, New York. His parents were William Fisher, a banker, and Jan Howell. Fisher is a middle child with an older and younger sister and used to take care of his younger sister after his parents got divorced when he was 15. But according to close friends and relatives, it was very unsettling for Fisher, leaving long-lasting effects on him. Fisher confided to one associate that he thought his life could have been different if his mother hadn't left the family. After the divorce in 1976, Fisher and his two sisters lived with their father William, where his stepmother terrorized Fisher and his sister. Fisher enlisted in the United States Navy and attempted to become part of the SEALs but was unsuccessful and then worked as a fireman. Fisher then became a surgical catheter technician and respiratory therapist Okay. after an accident that injured his back, making him leave the dream job that he had. Fisher later received a back operation that made his life a bit difficult with pain. So he was constantly in pain mm-hmm. with the incident he had while being a fireman, almost said fisherman, mm-hmm. fireman, where he later went to a masseuse and where he, in air quotes, fell into temptation. Okay. And contracted a ur- urinary tract infection. But keep that in mind. Okay. The masseuse thing. Yeah. Just, just that at the back of your mind. 
Fisher then confessed to his wife and pastor the temptation, in, in air quotes, that went over him. Mary was livid and kicked Fisher out where he stayed in the woods for a couple of days before returning home and work on their marriage. Now, to just state something interesting here, from him being um, going camping, he was an avid camper, avid fisherman, avid hunter. He would easily go away for a couple of days and camp in the middle of fucking nowhere. Mm, by himself. By himself or with friends, yeah. but mainly with himself. Fisher told the hunting buddy that he was renewing his commitment to his faith and his marriage because he could not live without his family. He hinted he would consider suicide before divorce. Okay. So again, keep a pin in that. Mm -hmm. Remember that. An old neighbor described Fisher as an odd person that was always slow in answering questions, as if he was calculating every word he said. So he was very, he was a very calculated person. I mean, um, we'll later learn that he's, I mean, he's not a stupid person. Yeah. I mean, this guy was a respiratory technician, which mm. is, I mean, it's, it's not everyone can do that. But yeah. anyway, the neighbor also mentioned that whenever there was a row at the house, you would always hear Mary screaming and not Fisher, which was quite weird. They said that, you know, she, you would always hear her screaming, saying that, you know, you're worthless, I could have done better, we, we should get a divorce, and then they, that's when Fisher would take all his shit, his dog, and go camp for a couple of days yeah. before returning. So, that's so he would never raise his voice and yell? And no, and so far as what I can conclude, he never really physically harmed his kids, okay. or his wife, never physically, but... Again, Fisher was not stupid. Yeah. He was good with money. He had college funds for both of his kids. Uh, Mary's Toyota Forerunner was paid off and they had assets. So, I mean. So he was quite responsible with his money. Yes, he was responsible with his money. I think they were basically almost starting to pay off their home, stuff like that. Um, a friend of Mary mentioned that, you know, they looked happy. But Fisher was controlling and Mary was not allowed to change any decor in the house um, without his permission. Okay, that's strange because usually... Yeah, I mean, even if it's children's drawings, I mean, she has to get his permission to... To put it on the wall. Yeah. What? He was a very controlling man. Fisher's mother, Jan Howell, told investigators that she had been a yes sir wife and didn't stand up to her husband. She added that she saw similar dynamics early in her son's marriage to Mary and talked to her daughter-in-law about her concerns. I mean, so Mary also had, you know, problems with, with Fisher because, I mean, she, like I said, she wasn't allowed to change anything in the house. Yeah. They were allowed to have deer heads in the house, but nothing pretty. But any case. Okay. His mother-in-law, Jenny Cooper, told investigators investigators that Fisher didn't socialize often with family because of a fear of getting too close to people and losing them. So that, that's another pin yeah. that we need to remember. It was also noted that Fisher loved his dog more than his family. That's never a good sign. No, but it's a beautiful dog. It was a, it's a black Labrador called Blue. Ooh. But something else to note is how he interacts with his kids. On the home videos, he acts like a caring father, but there are subtleties that does pop up. Like, I've watched a couple of the um, the home videos. Mm -hmm. it's, it's your normal, you know, dad type of videos where he's either, you know, swimming with the kids or, you know, he's playing with them, singing with them. But they, they are, like, really weird subtleties. 
where his I want to say is is not aggression but his overpowering masculinity does come out okay like this there's a specific one where he is cradling Bobby that's mm-hmm. his youngest son in his arms and he asks Mary what are you taking pictures of put that thing off and it's like you and he makes like a motion like you know to cut it off yeah and or you can hear Mary um, in the background saying it's for Bobby's first Thanksgiving because Bobby was two months old or something like okay. that okay and then further, he also tells Brittany, you know, to show a dress, you know, turn around, turn around again, smile, smile pretty, shit like that. Okay. Now going back to the crime scene again. Mm-hmm. On the previous day of the killing, which is on the 9th of April, 2001, Fisher reportedly replaced all the insulation in the attic and the oil of his truck. Fisher also took Brittany to a church event that evening. And the same goes for Mary. She took Bobby to one of those weird hunting, kid hunting events and such. But something changed because that night around 10.30, a neighbor reported hearing a loud argument approximately 10 hours before the house blew up in an explosion. It was the type of argument neighbors say would make Fisher pack his things and leave for a few days. But he didn't. Okay, yeah. It is estimated that Brittany and Bobby was killed first as not to arouse Mary. Because they were obviously sleeping yeah. by then. Leaving her for lost since, he would, since she would be more difficult and could potentially fight back. The broken natural gas line was done after the family was killed. Robert then placed a lit candle in the hall as to wait for the gas to build up before exploding. Giving him a 10 hour head start. Again, so he calculated everything calculate is a very difficult thing to say because if I say it's not premeditated and you'll know why as we go along okay um but remember he was a firefighter yeah so he knows he knows a thing or two but the fact that he did that he should have known that not all the evidence will be gone yeah they found ATM photos of Fisher withdrawing 280 dollars that's about 4,200 rand not in today's money and back then back money. then money which is quite a lot and mary's forerunner in the background the problem with 280 dollars is that it's not enough not enough to sustain a life on the run yeah no it won't last but he withdrew the max amount that he could because they had a, a max limit that they could withdraw from their account oh, joint account the everyday yes yeah. This also indicates that the murder was not premeditated. Otherwise, he would have had a stash Mm -hmm. of money or would have withdrawn more if he could. I don't know, in in, in a case like that. But on April the 20th, the last physical evidence of Fisher's whereabouts surfaced when police found Mary's Toyota Forerunner and their dog, Blue, in Tonto National Forest near the town of Young, Arizona. That's 100 100 miles north of Scottsdale. Although police searched the area around the car, it has been alleged that they did not search the, the nearly nearby network of caves sufficiently. Several professional cavers were suggested that Fisher used these as a hiding place before either escaping, killing himself or dying from low oxygen. But the problem with that is, is that he knows that area at the back of his hand. Yeah. And not only that, but in that area there's approximately about around 30 caves 
in a quarter of a mile radius. That's about 400 meters. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. That is a lot. And they don't know how deep it goes because it goes very deep. And the other thing is, is that um, they used a SWAT team, which is good for urban environments. They didn't use people that um, are good in that sort of, you know, area of expertise, outdoors type of thing. Yeah. So that's the main problem with with, with them. I the mean, investigation that... Yes. Yeah. And also, there were also reports of people spotting fisher. Uh, but they're basically all duds. I mean, one was in Guatemala where holiday goers were taking photographs. And there was a guy in the background and he approached them and threatened them saying that, um, why were you taking pictures of me? Oh. So it was suspected that it might have been him. Yes, because he demanded, you know, to... For, for them to take this, to delete those pictures because he doesn't want to be in them. And he also said, I killed before, I can kill again. But before anything else was done, he sort of left. And I th- they did give in the photos to the FBI, but it sort of stopped there because yeah. uh, they couldn't find the guy in any case. But the problem is, is he dead or alive? That's the major... So no one knows. No one really knows. There was another incident where... Um, I didn't really want to mention this because it, it, it doesn't really count, but there was a incident um, in Canada where um, one of the jails, God, I can't remember now, they saw someone that looked a lot like Fisher, like the same sort of stance because he had a very straight back, mm. you know, chest out, stomach in chest out because it, he had a lot of back pain. So he had to be in that position. He had a very regal sort of stance with yeah. him. And he also had a loose missing tooth, one of these um, teeth that were missing because he had a gold tooth. Mm. Long story short, they got one of his old neighbors to sort of come in to investigate. Oh, and, and to identify. Yeah, so identify me. He said it was him. But when they did like DNA testing or, or fingerprints, sorry, when they did fingerprints. It wasn't him. It wasn't him. So that's why I didn't want to mention it because that was... That's strange. It is strange. But the whole thing is, is that there was a, I don't know if it's true, there's no way of actually getting information to say that it is true, but apparently um, he had an affair with a woman. It was weeks before the killing where Fisher and Mary had another fight and mm-hmm. Mary told him she's done. They're getting a divorce. That's okay. it. The main thing is, is that there's no physical evidence that concludes that he had an affair. We know about the masseuse. Yeah. But I mean, how the fuck do you just go into temptation? But the very funny thing is, when they found the car, the car was spotless. There were no fingerprints except for a coffee cup with mm-hmm. his his fingerprint on it. So they think what happened is he had someone help him. They don't think he could have done it alone? No. No. Because what he did as well... Um, like a disappearing expert? He, he, yes, or someone that he knew that helped him out. Yeah. Because $280 won't last yeah, very long. Yeah, that is very true, yeah. And it's quite hard living completely off the grid. Yeah. But now, if he loved his dog that much... That's the major thing. Why leave the dog? Yeah. Why not leave the dog at the kennel? Look, it might be that the dog is very... The dog will be very no- noticeable. Like, it's a... Yes, that's the main thing as well. Distinctive dog. And also, 
something I didn't mention is, is that the dog was, um, the dog made a bed underneath the car. So he was there for a while then. About a day or so, they assume, yeah. more or less, because the the set of the car that they got, it was spotless. They weren't pine needles on, on the uh, seats or anything. So clearly it was exactly cleaned out, left there. It but was very again, spotless. Again, why leave his dog? Exactly. Why leave it in the wilderness where it might not even fend for itself? Because how would he have known that people would find the car and the dog? Well, it's not that far off the road, the car. So it's, it is noticeable from the road? Yeah, they saw the car. Okay, okay, okay. So what he did was he stopped, uh, pushed in the side mirrors, pushed mm-hmm. them in like if you were to go into a very narrow alleyway or narrow garage yeah. or anything like that. And everything was, you know, all the windows were rolled up, I think, if I remember. But it was completely clean. And the dog was actually outside the car, not inside the not car. Not inside the car. And they found human dung on the side. Human? Yeah, human excrement next to the car. Like a final fuck you, Mary. Hmm. Mm. But it's a very interesting case because this guy is really off his knockers. I mean, some of his hunting buddies said that once they were hunting elk in that region and they were busy gutting it and he was literally taking the blood and smearing it all over himself. himself. Yeah. Now, I didn't find that weird because um, in most, I want to say, instances, like for instance, the first time my brother shot yeah, something it's your it's, first it's, kill you usually it's a, it's a it's a sort of a traditional hunting hunting thing it's a, a, a hunting tradition where you with your first kill you cover yourself you cover yourself yeah but that's not the first incident where you did something weird there was another incident where um they were out fishing and there were people across from the lake from them that were fishing as well and they just saw Fisher disappear, and the next moment they, when they saw him again, he was swimming to them with a hunting knife on his teeth. Okay. Don't know what happened because no was one no report. Or... No one reported anything, and none of his friends actually said anything else from it. Hmm. But clearly, this guy is not lacquer. But again, going back to the dog, I'm just stuck on the dog with the dog. I know. Why would the dog stay there? My, my, my this is my my thought, my initial thought. It's a very well trained dog. Look, even if it's a well trained dog, if the dog has been there for a day or more, mm. he would eventually get up and go look for his. Because yes. a dog can't understand stay here till yes. someone gets you. That's the one thing that sort of. Because a dog can understand stay. Mm. But they'll stay for a limited time. Mm. But that's what Either, they said. That's what they said. It wasn't that long because they think it was about twenty-four hours when um, they found the car. So it wasn't that long because he had the dog true. with him before he left the car. Yeah. That's the one thing. Now the major problem is we. No one really knows. No one knows yeah. where he is. And the thing is, if if he planned to live off the grid, why not take your dog with you? Because mm. no one, if you live off the grid, no one will see you. 
Mm. Yes, that's what one of the investigators said as well. He also said that, you know, the problem with the dog is, you know, you can keep it as a companion and someone to alert you when someone is close by, mm. but then you're going to give away your hiding spot, if that makes sense. True. I get that. And the thing is, this is really not premeditated. Yeah. It, it, it's not. I mean, and if he did commit suicide, why did he pack his clothes? Because he packed his clothes. And why go commit suicide there and not in the house while the house is burning? Exactly. True. So there's so many different aspects of this. There's so many loose loose ends, mm. open questions where you don't really know what actually happened. So they still haven't found no. any evidence of him. No. There's been, you know, sightings and, and, and like stuff the one like Guatemala. that. But what the one FBI investigator said was like they they are very good resemblances, like really good re- uh, resemblances of you know of how he should look like. He's on FBI's uh, top ten most wanted. Okay. I think there's like a hundred hundred thousand dollar reward. Yeah. For his arrest. And how likely is it that it was him that did it? Obviously, he went missing. I mean. The thing that made is there me... any if it, is there any evidence except for him going missing that it was him? I think it's the way he killed his kids. Just the way it was show it was well, meant the, that the... it was someone in the middle of the night that did it. Mm. Meaning, if... and if you think about it as well, I mean, this is a guy with military background that mm. goes hunting. Mm-hmm. It's someone that knows how to kill. Yeah, definitely. And again, I would go back to saying that anything that's physical, that is usually passion, that's a crime of passion. Usually meant for someone you know. Exactly. I mean, yes, he shot his wife, but that was a that was an overkill. It's a it's a it's a mantra saying "fuck you, bitch." Yeah, but it's also a way of just doing it quickly and not struggling. No, they think she was shot afterwards. What do you mean? The throat was cut as well, and then and she was got... shot in the head. Yeah, but I, maybe, but just there's maybe no way of saying that she was shot first and then her, her throat was cut. Yeah, there's no way of saying. No, because you know there was quite a with the fire there was extensive damage, so you can't even see if there was any self-defense wounds, wounds or anything like that. If she fought back, exactly, you can't see. Okay, damn. Okay. Hmm. That Threading was a story. Um, uh, interesting story, which we now have a solved and an unsolved case. Both murders we have spoke about spoke about today. Um, we will leave all the sources and all those things that we where we found out the stories from. We'll leave it in our show notes. Mm. If any of you want to go watch the YouTube videos of... about it, yes. Okay, so yeah, we will leave all the information in the show notes of this episode. Next week's episode, we will be doing more of a light-hearted part of the love series. Yeah, not, not <laughs> so, nothing as uh, dreary as this. Yes, we will be doing relationship tips from someone in a relationship and relationship tips from a single <laughs> <laughs> single person. So we'll be doing that next week, so stay tuned for that. So um, if you don't like the more murder cases, despair cases, next episode will be better for you. Yeah. Definitely. But thank you for listening. Oh, we need to also mention that we do have a Patreon. 
Yes. If you want to support us, basic bitch, which is just for bread, literally, <laughs> just for bread. Because uh, $1 is actually quite a lot in rands, if you yeah. don't know. Go check it out. So, yeah, we start from $1.50 to $20. Um, but any support will be appreciated. Mm -hmm. And just keep on listening. And also follow us on our social medias. Yes. Okay. Cheers for years. Cheers for years.